Before we get to this week's episode, we've got a few things to take care of. First, we want to let you know that our audio course is finally out on Himalaya Learning. The Wildlife of Your Home pod course is a 10-episode series that will train you to become an indoor wildlife investigator, a rare kind of scientist. You'll learn about ecosystems by discovering the unknown creatures you wake up with every day. It's available right now on learning.himalaya.com tumble. If you enroll now, you'll get a free 14-day trial on the Himalaya Learning platform. And next, we got some new patrons to thank. Roland, Bridger, happy belated birthday on August 2nd, Bridger. Your dad loves you and loves all the adventures you go on. Isaac and Aurora Lang, Ian Skinner, Aaron, Holly, and Charlotte. And Charlotte, happy birthday on August 15th. Keep learning and asking questions. Your mommy loves you. And also Cleo Chan Testa. Keep learning and shining, and happy birthday on August 21st. There are also some more not-new patrons with birthdays coming up. Persephone Schmitter, happy birthday on August 14th. Leo Liked Gould, happy birthday on August 15th. Your parents love you and are so grateful for you. Catherine, happy birthday on August 16th. Emma Kay, happy birthday on August 21st. Mom and Dad are always so proud of you. Julian Butel, happy birthday on August 21st. Thanks to all of you and to everyone who supports Tumble on Patreon. If you'd like to get a shout-out like these people, or get a happy birthday wish from yours truly on our podcast, just go to patreon.com slash tumblepodcast and pledge at the $5 level or higher. Once again, that's patreon.com slash tumblepodcast. We have an awesome episode for you today, but first, we have a few all-star listeners and Tumble supporters to thank. We'd like to thank Otis and Waylon Shark, Jonathan and Zoe Labin, Jenny Wheland, Heather and Charlie Grant, Catherine Petrie, and Ash Marin. Ash is our first member of the Tumble Discovery Club, which means he'll get amazing extras with each episode, like MP3s of Marshall's music, special cuts from our interviews with scientists, and amazing blog posts, even a Tumble temporary tattoo. I want one of those. You can join Ash in the club by pledging at patreon.com slash tumblepodcast. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yay, fun for everyone. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. Today, we're talking with a scientist who travels the world studying ants, trying to figure out why there are so many of them. But why does she even have to travel the world for that? Because the answer always is, you just left some food out overnight. Before we talk to our scientist, we asked some of our listeners to tell us what they know about ants. What do you know about ants? They can sting. Yeah, and does it? how does it feel when they sting? Not good. I read somewhere that ants can carry like three times their weight in food. I think that's super cool. That's my favorite thing about ants. Ants don't have bones. They have a hard shell like fingernails. They make those little burrows in the ground and they start really small. But after a couple of days, they're huge and they have all these little tunnels connecting to things. It's almost like an underground apartment building made out of sand and dirt. Uh, I'd rent that. 
Well, let me tell you my favorite thing about ants. I remember there being something like if you were to put all ant species into a ball, like it would weigh some crazy amount. If you were to take all the ants that are alive on the planet right now today and put them on one side of the scale, and all of the non-human vertebrates, so things like leopards and pumas and elephants and tigers, and put them on the other side of the scale, all the ants would outweigh them. What? Now, if we did the same exercise where we took all the ants that are alive right now on the planet and put them on one side of the scale and all the humans that are alive on the planet on the other side, it would be about equal. But, like, ants are teeny, teeny tiny, and it would take, like, thousands of them to weigh as much as one person, and there are a lot of people on this planet. So who's telling you this? So my name is Corey Moreau, and I'm an associate curator and professor at the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago. Corey Moreau is kind of a rock star in the world of insect scientists. Like, does she have tattoos? She does have tattoos. She has amazing tattoos. Yeah, so I was excited to meet her. And pretty much immediately, she made the case to me that although ants are small in size, they're a very big part of the animal world. Maybe you might not know this, there are more species of ants than just red ants and black ants. In fact, there are more species of ants than all the birds and mammals in the world together. That's amazing. That's a, that's a lot of ants. I love ants. Except stinging ants. Hopefully there's not a lot of stinging ants. I love ants too, and not all ants sting. There's actually more than 10,000 different species of ants. They're found around the world on all the continents except Antarctica. So wait, there's no ants on Antarctica? That's ironic. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I want to know why there are so many species. I want to know why they're found where they are. I want to know how long they've been on the planet. To find the answer, Corey travels to collect exotic ants. Can you tell me what it's like to go collect these ants? Because it sounds like an awesome adventure. Yeah, so that's the funnest part of my job, is I get to travel around the world collecting ants. Recently, she's been working in the tropics, places like Central and South America that are teeming with plants and insect life. And it's wonderful. I get to run around the jungles collecting bugs. These jungles contain more species of ants than anywhere else in the world. So if you're walking on a mountain path in North America, you might, if you're really a keen observer, see five or ten species. So it's kind of like when we went on a hike that one time and we saw like some red ants, some black ants, some big chunky ones and some little skinny ones that were really fast. And all of them we didn't want to step on. Not a single one. But if you go to the tropics, you're going to see hundreds of species climbing on every surface possible. There are going to be tons of different shapes and sizes, um, and there's a lot of diversity there. So I think it's almost overwhelming how many species you see in the rainforest. So she collects these ants, and does she just, like, take them home and put them on a shelf? And if you go to her house where, like, most people have books and, like, CDs and stuff, she just has lots and (laughs) lots of ants. (laughs) She doesn't take them home. She takes them to the field museum where she works and where it's normal to have huge (laughs) collections of ants in your drawers and on your walls. Okay, but how does that help answer the questions about why they exist or how they came to be? Just, like, having them? Just be like, look at my ants, guys. Corey doesn't just look at them, she does stuff with the ants. She designs and runs experiments to get the information she needs to make her conclusions and answer her questions. Were there any moments where you're like, oh, I don't know what to do next? (laughs) I think for me, a lot of times is thinking about how to design experiments well. 
That means before she can start her experiment, she needs to understand how to answer the question. She told me about one experiment gone wrong. We got the data and it was completely the opposite of what I expected. So I thought, oh no, now what? So then I thought, oh, well I need to redesign my experiment and that will address the question. So you have to get the right information going in to get the right answer out. So like if you ask, what is the answer to life, the universe and everything, and you get back the number 42, you've probably designed your experiment wrong. <laughs> Fortunately, Corey knows how to use the tools she has to answer the right question. So in my lab, we actually use genomic and molecular tools to say, how are ants related to each other? And what does this tell us about the evolution of the ants themselves? Corey uses the ants' DNA to solve the mystery of why and how ants evolved to become the most dominant insect on Earth. We can actually let the DNA tell us the story. DNA, the unique genetic code that's in the cells of all living things, contains clues to the hidden evolutionary history of ants. We can sort of draw a family tree or we can use forensic, right, DNA evidence to figure out who's related to who. If you show up at the ant family reunion, like, the fire ants will be like, wow, there's cousin carpenter ant. Who even knew we were related? <laughs> So from those family trees, Corey can piece together the history of the evolution of ants themselves. So what's the, what's, what's the history? What story did the DNA tell her? Well, it starts a long, long time ago. From what we can tell, the modern ants have been on the planet for about 140 million years. So 140 million years ago, is that dinosaur time or is that mammal time? It's dinosaur time. Dinosaur time. Yeah. <laughs> there were changes in the sort of number of species on the planet through evolutionary time. At first, there weren't too many of them around. And then at one point around 100 million years ago, they took off like crazy. All right. Woo, ants. Go ants. Suddenly there were lots and lots of species that happened very quickly. And that seems to correspond with where we see the the increase in the flowering plants. Flowering plants provided new food and homes for ants, and new species of ants started branching off the family tree, evolving for better survival in the new environment. So as those plants that had the broad leaves and flowers spread across the planet, lots of things were taking advantage of this new niche, and ants were one of them. So it's also a story about how everything ended up on Earth. That's right. So I think for me, what I'm really interested in is why there's so much biodiversity across the planet and also how do species interactions drive what we see today. Species interactions. So she's talking about how more ant species evolved because there were more types of plants on Earth. Yeah, so that's one really good example. And ants aren't just taking advantage of these habitats, they play an important role in them. So you always see ants, you know, climbing in and out of holes in the ground. Well, what they're doing down there is they're aerating the soil, so they're bringing air into the soil. They're also bringing nutrients down to that. Some people actually have suggested that it's more important to have ants in your garden than even earthworms to keep your soil healthy. Okay, so they're adding to the environment and not just living off it like mooches. Yeah, they're also scavengers, which means they clean up after messes, like dead things. <laughs> they're also responsible for scavenging and breaking down lots of resources, right? So otherwise we'd have things just sort of piling up. So like without ants, nature would just have an inbox that never got emptied. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So can we say we know why there are so many species of ants? 
It's basically because they evolved to fill so many useful roles as the environment around them became diverse with different plants and animals. But there's still so much to know and so much more of the story to tell. It's almost like, you know, the analogy of Russian dolls. Every time you answer one question, you open it up and then you find there are lots more questions to address, which is a challenge, but also one of the funnest parts of science. So ants still have many mysteries inside them. They absolutely do. And I had just one last question for Corey. Why do you love ants so much? I think they were always my favorite group of insects. I think because they were cooperating and they would be doing things. Like they seemed to have behaviors that were similar to things that I experienced. I never really think of ants as being relatable. Yeah, but apparently not relatable enough to keep Corey from doing experiments on them. (laughs) (laughs) So I think for me, ants were just really super fun because you could do experiments with them even as a kid right on your own sidewalks. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And I just want to say everyone should go outside and play with bugs. So we want you to take Corey's advice and go outside to play with bugs. Then tell us about it. What are they doing? Why do you think they're doing it? Can you identify what species you're looking at? And bonus points for sending us pictures or drawings at tumblepodcast at gmail.com or posting them on our Facebook page. We can't wait to see the ants in your backyard, your sidewalks, and even your picnic baskets. (laughs) Well, that's our show for today. Thanks to Corey Moreau, Associate Curator and Professor at the Field Museum in Chicago. And thanks to the kids who sent in ant audio, Holden, who's three, and Liam, age six, from Atlanta, Georgia. Phoebe, 12, from Minnesota. Matthias, who's 9, from Brooklyn, New York, and awesomely named. And Colin, 7, from Lancaster, Massachusetts. Do you want to be on the show? It's one of our rewards when you pledge on our Patreon. You'll get messages from us with questions you can answer for upcoming episodes. That also means you get to know what the episode is about before everyone else. Like our next show about... Shh. It's a secret. Oh. Okay. To find out more, visit our website at tumblepodcast.com, where you'll also find links to connect with us on social media, sign up for our newsletter, and visit our blog. Sarah Lentz is our associate producer. I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I produce this show. And I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I made all this wonderful music you're hearing. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more stories of science discovery. Give me a C!